What's up, everybody? So this is a little new segment that we got going. We call it the Roundtable at SalesCast. We have Patrick, who's our newest uh, contributor to the team, and then Luke and myself. So I think we're going to do this biweekly and, and post these podcasts uh, pretty regularly. This is just us riffing. I mean, we used to do this back in the day uh, when we were in offices and the world wasn't such a crazy place. Um, but so we decided to kind of put it into a, a formal uh, kind of format and, and kind of riff off things. So I think Patrick wanted us to just roll off our energy here. So I don't really know what we're going to talk about, but I guess we'll find out. Right, Patrick. Yeah. What's up, you bastards? How you doing today? <laughs> Miserable. Miserable. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we want to start with like this week in sales at Panadoc. I think it might be interesting to pull the curtain back a little bit and talk about some of your experiences this week. Luke, you want to start since you're the one deep in the trenches? Am I the only one in the trenches? Yeah. <laughs> you're doing discovery calls, right, Max? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Um, it's been an interesting week. Uh, I was actually out of the office on Monday, just driving down the East Coast, went from Maine down to Florida. So trying to stop every once in a while, answer an email, et cetera. That's been crazy. But uh, something that happened today was I was going through my pipeline. Um, and remember when we were back in the office, Patrick, and I was complaining about having to update Salesforce, update pipeline, et cetera. Because I'm like, this is just helping our directors and our VP what's the point and what'd you tell me that's a dumbass way to look at it you, you got to think about it from like okay i have a tool in front of me how do i use it to benefit me exactly so i was looking through it and i noticed this one op callback date was in the past next step wasn't updated and then i looked at like the tcv or the contract value on it and i was like Ooh, okay let me give her a call Called her up. Hey, it's Luke from Panadoc. Name ring a bell. She's like, yep, yeah, how's it going? And I didn't have to say anything else. She's like, yep, yeah, we got it approved last week. Everything's good to go. Um, I just need to forward this over to our CEO so we can sign it. So I was like, okay, remember how you forward this thing? She's like, yep, yeah, push the forward button, click the checkbox, off it goes. I was like, great, mind if I get in touch with you later today if I don't see it signed? She's like, sure. So I hang up and within the next 30 seconds, I see the email popping in my inbox. Your document has been forwarded to Mr. CEO. Mr. CEO has opened the document. And I was standing there with Max this morning, watching the CEO fill it out and sign it and closing the deal. And I'm above the quarter already and just seeing these accelerators stack on top of each other is so much fun. But to your point, Patrick, having that pipeline and noticing when something's out of place you can recall them, get in touch, and turn it into money in under 30 minutes. It's wild. You need to be able to find your luck in a way, I think. like uh, How you do stuff is important, but a lot of salespeople just don't do enough of anything. <laughs> like that's, that's the number one issue I see with people. It's like, oh, I'm not closing any deals. And it's like, you made five calls this week. If you're not calling your pipeline, people are moving the deal along without you. And if you're not getting involved enough, you're just going to be cut out and people are going to make decisions that are going to be not in your favor because you weren't following up correctly. Yeah. When I made my transition from SDR to AE, like I did almost no pipeline follow-up like my first month. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> like I did follow up, but I wasn't like making calls like that. I figured like I went from outbound SDR to, 
to uh, AE and I was like, all right, cool. Like I'm done making calls. This is sick. I can just focus on like demos and negotiating and all the cool stuff that comes along with being an AE. Um, but then I'm like, oh shit, I actually have to call these people like on a random Wednesday and see how things are going because I haven't talked to them in four days. Um, it really does make a huge difference. I remember one time we did a call. <clears throat> I think it was like me, you, Reed, uh, and, and you too, Luke. And I think it was you that said this, Patrick, but like you were like, if you can keep track of your pipeline, and just keep things somewhat organized, you'll have an extra 20 or 10 to 15K at the end of every month. Just if you keep things organized and you know where everything's at. And it's so true because the months where I did my best, like my pipeline was on point. Next steps were all set. Notes were perfect. I had everything on the calendar where it needed to be. And it was just easy for me to go through and say, okay, that deal is there. This deal is here. I'm sending out a proposal to this person on the next call so on and so forth. And like, boom, next year, like five to 15 K just pops up just because you're organized and you're just doing the things that you have to do and not doing anything crazy. It's just an extra like 15 K of just, okay, I'm organized. These people are moving along the sales cycle as fast as I need them to. Yeah. It's, it's the least sexy part of the job, which is yeah. why I think people don't want to do it. It's, it sucks. <laughs> like it's one of those things where you just got to eat your vegetables and, and deal with it, but you're going to mm-hmm. get money out of it. Yeah. And, we're living in this world now too, where everything's Zoom meetings, right? I'm going to send you an invite for the next meeting. Here's another Zoom meeting. And then so many people just let that sit for like seven days, eight days before that next meeting. Like how much can change in a week, right? And, and mm-hmm. if you're not even just like sending emails or, or calling them to see how things are going, especially if there's a decision supposed to be coming up on this call, you could be caught with your pants down because you didn't know about some crazy major thing that happened in between your two meetings. Yeah. I mean, like the months, the months when I did the worst were the months where I just got lazy with my pipeline and wasn't really paying attention to any of that stuff. And like you said, like you can lose track of that stuff pretty easily because it's not that sexy. Like people don't really want to, Ooh, I'm going to go in and make sure all my Salesforce hygiene is clean. Like no one really wants to do that. Has anyone ever come up to you and be like, damn, dude, like your Salesforce hygiene Steven is Brackenoff. fucking sexy, dude. <laughs> Stephen Brackenoff has a fucking clean Salesforce. <laughs> I never have issues with him, dude. People when just I come go- up to Steve. Oh, Steve, Jesus. <laughs> you know who does? You're an ox one. wet dream. Oh. <laughs> you know who does? You know who goes up to him and says that stuff? <laughs> Joey does. <laughs> Joey loves a clean pipeline. He does, dude. <laughs> we need to get Joey oh. on here. Yeah, we should. He oh, might freak man. out and just like fucking go off. <laughs> he'd be the he'd be the ninety five percent talk time. Yeah. <laughs> In I'd some be future state. Uh, I'd be fine with that. Me too, man. Luke, what has your experience been with that phenomenon of like how much things can change between meetings? Do you do a lot of that following up between? Oh, you're talking about the unsexy work. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I wear the glasses. It's, it's not sexy, but you got to get the job done. Um, but to, to your point, Max, that 10 or 15K Patrick was talking about, that deal today was 10 grand. And it was outside my pipeline. I missed a callback date. And I was like, all right, I need to catch this one. I got it. Deal came in. There's your bonus for just having good hygiene. Yeah. What's the difference between top 1% and people who just hit quota? It's the little things. So doing the unsexy work, Patrick, perfect examples last quarter. I was focused. I was locked in. I was updating pipeline every night. I was coming in early. I was staying late. And I was banging out calls. I had three different ops I can think of off the top of my head. 
where things got derailed in the middle of the sales cycle. I got no showed twice. And those were the deals that ended up purchasing at the highest dollar amounts, like big five figures. The ones that came in, I got no show twice on those and had to get them back on the line and basically prospect them again through cold calling to not only get the initial champion, but also the decision makers in a room to actually close the deal. This happened time and again. And the reason I'm decent at being an AE is because I was a phenomenal SDR. The, the phone skills are something that you need to take with you and that will never leave. If you have those, you have such a huge head start over anybody else. And something I keep coming back to though is like, you just got to do the work. And I think that the number one issue people have is just doing the work over and over every day. Like if you have a 30 year sales career, you know, it's a lot, a lot of fucking days, too many days that you're doing the same thing over and over. And so many people just kind of let things slip and they might have great phone skills, but if you're making a 10th of the calls, as somebody next to you that has shitty phone skills, they're still going to do better than you. So like, how do you keep that motivation? And, and like, what advice would you give to people that are struggling with that? This might go back to what Max was talking about before, but find your why and the reason for doing something. You have to understand why you're looking to accomplish this. Is it purely about the money? Very rarely. It's a couple layers deep in that. What does the money do for you? Me personally, my drive comes from the competitive side. I want to be the best. I want to be on top of the leaderboard. I want to be number one. And so that drive keeps pushing me and keeps me going. But for somebody else, it might be, I don't know. I need to take care of my family. I need to put my kids through college. I need, well, I have problems with that. But different needs for money and the reason to be successful. And Put it in perspective this way. Are they paying you to actually show up and close business? Is that the ultimate goal for an AE mm-hmm. or from the business perspective? Yeah. So they're paying you to do a job. If somebody's paying you to do a job. You should do that job to the best of your ability. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take other offers or see if something better comes along, but you should be doing the job you're getting paid to do. Maybe it's a crazy idea. It is weird though. Like I'd say about 40% of the sales that you run into have the thing where they just won't do it. You know, so you only only got about like 60% of our profession actually doing it every day. And so many people are just like, I call anxiety. I don't want to make the calls. I don't want to write the emails. I don't want to fucking look for another 30 companies to prospect this week. They just get burned out and they stop doing it. And like you said, the why can help drag you along. But I think you also have to realize like when you're in the wrong career, there's been a couple of people who have just been like, no matter what your mindset is, like, this just is not for you. Like, you're not the kind of person that can do this every day. Like, you, you have to have that mentality, like you're a fucking coal miner. Obviously, what we do is, it's not as difficult as coal mining, but you're, you're, you're going into the trenches and you're doing the same thing. You're digging a hole every day and doing this repetitive task. And if your brain can't handle that, you need to get the fuck out and find something else because you're just going to make your life miserable. Have you ever seen a case of this, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen quite a few. <laughs> Can you give me a specific example? I cannot. <laughs> we are recording. That sounded like a, like a freaking demo call. 
in the past? Could you give me a specific example of that? Yo, this man fucking pain funneled me. <laughs> he almost got I was only halfway through. I definitely thought about it for half a second. I was like, fuck no. <laughs> I can't say that. Uh, what happened? What happened with your week this week, Patrick? Stop probing us. Oh, I'm sorry. I probed too hard. Um, <laughs> did another forms training. I, I built out like four onboardings in the past two weeks, which has been crazy. Doing a lot of coaching. Um, something that's interesting is like I'm, I'm now working with the outbound SDRs, and a major thing I'm seeing is people are trying to like copy tactics that top performers like Jed are using, but it's just not working. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people think it's like, oh, it's the cadence or it's when you call or whatever. But you know what I'm actually finding is it's targeting. Uh, it seems like almost sixty percent of outbound or like half of outbound is just like who you actually choose. Yeah. to go after and like the triggers that you're using to determine those things right and I, I think that's not really talked about much it's usually like here's what you say on a cold call or you know this is how you write the best email sequence but it's never like how do you find the right person for your company to yeah. actually talk to relevance right yes look you're really good at this um Jez really good at it I mean like I think a lot of people don't even use sales now the right way right it's you have all these tabs at the top where it's like change jobs in the last 90 days who are the people that make the most rash decisions people that just started a director role or a vp role right they're wanting to make big changes and make a splash or people that have used your products at other companies that are now at new companies that could pretty much be a warm inbound if you treat it the right way right like they know who you are they like your products but people are just going oh found a director of ops in my vertical Gonna add them to a cadence, and then of course they don't fucking respond to you. You don't even know if it's the right email because you got got it from Zoom Info, which maybe has five year old data. Hey, don't talk bad about my lover. <laughs> it's not Zoom Info's fault. Every data database has that issue, right? Because you're not getting the most up to date information. But the cool thing about Sales Nav is that it's self reported, so it's oftentimes very accurate. You're exactly right. Um picture this you find your dream company at twitter and airbnb or whomever that you're targeting you get in there you find it's a perfect use case you find the title of the person let's say it's director of operations a vp of sales doesn't matter where they're the one who always buys your product they have all the same pains that your best customers have and you help solve problem is they just signed a contract a week ago with your competitor for three years and there's nothing in no way they can possibly get out of it. Man, your timing, your targeting is just the only thing I kept you from getting it. And so you're exactly right, Patrick. What Jed does so well and what we work together on is finding not only the personas, the industries that tend to do well, but we're so honed in on why they buy, how they purchase, and the drivers behind that, that we can target that with our messaging. And that's how we get replies. And that's how we get people coming in hotter than our standard inbounds where they're starting a trial. These people never touch the product and they're buying after like 14 days of never hearing about us. How are you crafting that messaging? In what way? Like what's your process for it? Are you just like going straight to the customer and asking them are you guessing and refining? Like, how do you get to your end? Like great messaging. Uh, 
trial and error. I think a lot of it is where we have a few accounts that we've closed in that same industry with the same titles. So we've learned, I hate this, they're buzzwords. What's very specific to these people and what they deal with their day to day. We learn that as we go through the sales cycle, the more we talk to, the more we hear it again and again and again. And so we take those buzzwords and we put it into our cadences, which are short spheres. Are you dealing with relevant pain X, Y, or Z? If so, are you open to a quick Zoom? Maybe I'm getting off track here, but that's typically how we format. It's just based off of all the words we hear time again throughout the sale. Can we have a whole catalog of these? based on who we talk to. So like we've talked about how timing can be a turnoff. I think the other thing is like irrelevance or the people just don't relate to what you're saying. Cause so often I'll get like a sales message and I'm just like, who is this for? <laughs> like, this does not seem like it was meant to be sent to me. And I think if like a salesperson really wants to do a nice sniff test on what they're doing, go to your sent inbox Look at the person you just sent an email to, go to their LinkedIn and then pretend you're that person and then read the email and think like, would I respond to this? That, that's a weird thing that someone said to me once. And I was like, oh shit, I've never done that. And I went and looked at all my emails and I was like, I wouldn't fucking respond to this if I was this person. So it's weird how we like, we have people use these cadences and write this messaging and they don't even think about how the other person is going to receive it, which should be the most important thing. A great example of that is if I go and look at my LinkedIn DMs right now and I go see these recruiters who send like these templated emails out saying like all these bullet points, I have like random recruiters for like random industries that I've never even worked in, don't know anything about sending me like what the OTE is for the job. And I'll just respond and be like, hey, like I have zero experience in that industry. You should probably stop reaching out to me. Like that's a great example of that. They just will go. Oh, they see salesperson or sales in the title. Boom, send it out. doesn't matter what it is. So like, that's a great example of that relevance. One thing that you mentioned too, was that I used to do, and I never really like, I used email when I was at SDR, but never as like a way to try and book meetings. I use it as like a, like a springboard more often. Um, my like whole tactic was based off like the phone and using that script that you and I had worked on early on Patrick and choosing the right person. So like, I think I, I would bet 95% of my opportunities were people who were in the sales org. So I never called anyone in marketing or operations or anything like that, just because I knew my personality and my script would not work for them. And I always like, as a disclaimer, whenever I'm telling people about my script, I'm always like, yo, don't use this. If one, it doesn't fit for your personality. And like two, if you're calling the wrong person, it's, the script won't work. If I call someone in marketing, they're not going to be totally psyched that I'm talking to them the way that I'm talking to them. Like Luke has a much better talk track for talking to marketing people than I do. Like I, if you told me to book marketing people, I would really struggle. I just can't do it. I'm not great at it. So I just stuck to the stuff that I was good at and use the script that was relevant. Right. Like I, I, going back to your point, like since you're onboarding these SDRs, they're trying to copy tactics. You need to make sure that they're copying tactics for the right people, the right personas. Um, because if they're like taking tactics that are in a totally different vertical, a totally different, you know, title, it's just not going to work. And that's something that I've seen a lot too with a lot of SDRs. And we did a podcast with, um, what was it, Matthew Gano, right, Luke? And he talked about that. He talked about like relevance and trying to figure out what worked best for the personas he was reaching out to because he noticed some of the stuff he was doing wasn't working for other people. 
So it's kind of like finding that balance and figuring it out, I think, uh, I would say. It's weird, right? Like, there's so much advice on LinkedIn, and I do it too, but you know, a lot of people go, oh, I tried this, and it didn't work. I got this DM from this guy. He was, like, freaking the fuck out because I posted this advice on how to, like, prospect multiple contacts into one account. And he goes, Patrick, I tried this, and the first time I did it, the guy read me out. He was screaming at me for going around his back. And I was like, whoa, whoa, like, what, ha- what are you talking about? Why would he go behind your back? And I find out he's an account manager. And he has like a main point of contact at the account. And then he like went around the guy's back. And I was like, whoa, whoa, like, I was talking about new business prospecting. But of course, I didn't start the post with this is for new business prospecting. I have my own set of experiences that inform my advice, but then people are in these completely different experiences trying to listen to my advice and it's not even relevant. And I think that happens and it's dangerous because people will just go on LinkedIn or on blogs and hear advice that's meant for people in their industry doing their kind of job and they try to use it at theirs and it just backfires and go, why did that work? It's like, fuck. I felt so bad. So do you have to be able to read between the lines or? Yeah, you do. And but the problem is when someone's super new, they might not even know that new business prospecting is a thing. <laughs> like if they work at an inbound only company and he's an account manager, like he might not even think that that exists. And if it's his first job. So you need to think there's a lot of things that people don't know. Actually, on that point, I'd like to send an apology to anyone who got an email from me in the first year and a half that I was an SDR. <laughs> They were very long, very lengthy, and very poorly written. I apologize. But uh, these are things you'll learn as you start doing the job more and you start understanding. Well, actually, let's, let's take a step back, Patrick. You mentioned some people just don't even do the work. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I have my own answer, but I'd love to know what you think. I think it's for a lot of reasons. I, I think it's expectations going into the role. I think it's some people not being confident. I think it's some people not being able to handle rejection. Uh, I think it's some people thinking that they have a worse situation than others. And thus, because it's harder, they shouldn't have to try so hard to do something that other people are doing. They see is probably easier or like some excuse that they make up in their head that essentially lets them to take the easy way out. Or they just don't have the mentality of, you know, to survive and to do what I need to do. I need to work hard because potentially uh, like in other parts of their life, they were just given things and never developed a work ethic. And now they're in the real world and they're like, wait, what? (laughs) What I have to do this every day. And it's just like a culture shock almost. Certainly. And that actually opened up my eyes to a couple other possibilities, but it sounds like there are some people who this just isn't a good fit for just doing sales, the grind, the repetitive nature and how non-me focused sales is. That's the frightening part. It's never about the account executive. I think you posted a poll one time. How many times have people bought software in spite of a sales rep that you worked with? High percentages. They were, they were going to buy this tool, whether or not the sales rep was any good. And then I think you did the flip side. How often did you buy because of the sales rep? what, 10, 12%, almost never. So it might not be a good fit is one side of it. And then just the ability to care and grind and do your job well, if it is a good fit for you. And I think that comes down to mentality. 
which I think is what you're trying to get at in perspective. Yeah, sales is a mental game. I was talking to somebody today about how, you know, like an athlete wouldn't try to run a marathon with a sprained ankle or else they'd get seriously hurt. But so often people try to like do sales every day with the wrong mindset and like potentially like not in the right headspace for it. And like, if, and I've been there too, like when I've been depressed or like stuff has happened to me in my life, I can't get my head in the game. Uh, and, and some people they're even worse at doing that and, or haven't had to deal with it. So it just becomes like a constant thing and they could just never wrap their head around how to constantly keep going through their own life problems. I think that's another thing. Cause like oftentimes you need to plug into a life that already exists, right. That might have a lot of hardships and some people don't know how to just like do it while other stuff is going on in their life. Some people can separate and compartmentalize and like say, Hey, this is work. I need to do my work and then I'll go deal with my life. Some people can't do that. Max, what do you think? You said it all back. Bitch. <laughs> um, sitting there on mute judging us no I'm just listening <laughs> taking it in waiting for you guys to involve me <laughs> um, no I was just I was just thinking um what do I think I think when I first started in sales as like an LBR and then moved into an SDR I always viewed a really successful like whether it was a booking or sale as as soon as I sell it or as soon as I book that meeting that person forgets about me that was always my ideal outcome because if any, like you guys know me pretty well, I don't want to deal with people after I sell to them. Like I never want to hear from them again. That, that's awesome. So my whole mindset was like, I'll use a great example. When I booked that cold call for that one, I won't name the company because I don't know if I'll get in trouble for it. I'll just say the uh, moving company, they move office supplies. You know, the one I'm talking about. Um, when I booked him, he was a VP of sales, ran their whole sales organization, had a lot of pull. I called them with that script. I booked them. It was like a six minute demo or a six minute conversation. Did a little bit of pain funneling, got some additional information, sent it to Luke. I guarantee you if I reach out to him and I was like, hey man, do you remember when I called you and you bought Panadoc? He'd say no. And for me, that was ideal. Cool. I booked it. I did my job. He forgot about me. The transition was seamless to Luke. He was able to close it. Luke had a huge impact on him, had a really awesome closing negotiating call. That was always awesome for me. But I can see what you're saying, like what Luke was saying and the fact that, okay, this isn't about me. I don't really get a lot of recognition. It's always about the other person. It can be a little deflating. So I can see that. I just am lucky in the fact that I always enjoyed when they just didn't care about how I was feeling, because to be honest, I don't really care about how they're feeling. So I don't want them to care about how I'm feeling. So I can kind of just keep it <laughs> very separated uh, relationship, which I enjoyed. That was helpful for me. So like that was open of, up a call. You're just like, Hey, just want to let you know right up front. Don't give a shit about you at all. I'm never going to care about I, you. I don't, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not going to be here and like, Oh, I really care about each person that like I sell to. There was, don't get me wrong. There are the off cases where I've had deals where I've closed people and I still talk to them on LinkedIn. Like I had a case the other day where um, I sold this girl, uh, Nick or yeah, Nikki, I think. And she works at an advertising company. And I follow this guy named David Goggins, super famous, like Navy SEAL. And they actually ended up doing all his PR for him. And I was watching one of his videos on Instagram and their logo popped up at the end and they're a PandaDoc customer now. And so I DM'd her on LinkedIn, like this cool little message. And she was like, oh yeah, like PandaDoc's awesome. We're loving it. And I'm so happy that you noticed that we were actually wondering if 
uh, people were actually going to see our logo at the end if they would watch that long. And I was like, oh, I definitely did. Like, I noticed it right away. And I, I literally just finished the video. So, like, I have cool interactions like that with people. But, like, my mentality always was I'm not going to take anything personally. They shouldn't take anything personally. It's a very business-like relationship. And I hope they just forget about me after because that means I did their job and now they're on to the onboarding stage. That's kind of, like, how I kept my whole mentality. <clears throat> and that kept me sane. Because I didn't, I didn't go into every call thinking I need to be best friends with this person. They need to like me. That's the complete opposite, you know? So that's kind of like my two cents on it. Just stay as detached from it as you can while also being engaged with the client, I think is my best piece of advice for it. I don't know if that resonates or if I'm sounding like a, a psychopath right now, not being very emotional. <laughs> nice negative label. Um, <laughs> that's that's my biggest takeaway but you you said the word detach and the whole time you were talking i was like oh this is like max's way of explaining the whole like identity versus role thing detaching from the outcome not getting too invested because mm -hmm. i think there's a difference in like investing as a human being with them which it sounds like you do and then investing in like your emotional attachment to whatever happens yeah those are two completely different things you could still be a human being and like jump mm -hmm. around and have a relationship yeah but you just can't care too much because otherwise you're going to get crushed constantly mm -hmm. and that's not good. <laughs> you won't be able yeah. to do your job. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There was, <clears throat> I've had two very specific months as an AE where I let that happen. And those were the two worst months that I ever did. So going right. back, if I ever become an AE again or in some kind of closing role, whether it's in a different industry or not, I'm going to remember back to those two months. I'm like, all right, I can have um, like a personal connection with somebody, but I can't get emotionally attached to them or to the result or else I'm just going to have a shit month. In those two months, April and December, I did both of those things without thinking about it. And I had shit months. So like now I know if I ever have to be in that situation again, I can't get emotionally attached or else I'm just going to do poorly. It sounds like what you're trying to do there is just bring the customer value get them to the point of value, that aha, that realization moment of, hey, this is something that we can help you with. Again, it doesn't extend to anything outside of this. I'm not looking to attack you on a cold call or anything. It's just, hey, we have a solution here. Sounds like you have a problem. We might be able to help with that. Yeah. Don't see how it works? Phenomenal. And then you moved them on to the value realization phase. But a couple of times I noticed they're like David Goggins, there's some genuine curiosity. You're actually interested about this and that's where you start developing the personal relationship outside of the sale yeah am i crazy no that's accurate one thing that you actually just brought up there that <clears throat> was a huge piece of why i was really good at cold calling when i was doing it really often back in the day was i was always really indifferent on the phone i had a tone of indifference always and i got that from you because whenever i listen to your calls you have this ah uh, like uh, kind of tone when you're talking to people it is what it is <clears throat> and that's kind of where I got it from and so you're right like in and this goes back to what you said Patrick you can have the separation of those two things but it's just I'm indifferent <clears throat> I'm indifferent to whether this person likes me I'm indifferent to whether they buy or not I'm indifferent to whether they take a meeting or not and that's the tone that I project because if I project a tone like that <clears throat> then they're going to come back to me with a okay this person doesn't actually really want to force me onto a meeting or doesn't really want to force me to buy their product it's kind of just like hey we're here here's the problem based on what you told me it sounds like you have a problem this is the solution i'm gonna lay it all out for you and i'll let you decide whether it's it's good or not um so it's like that tone of indifference exactly what you said and that's what we're reminding you of um right when you said that luke 
I feel like th this all just weirdly twisted into a full circle back to what we we're talking about with like, you got to just do the work. I think that's the secret to doing the work is the not caring. Because I think the more you care, the harder it is just to fucking push the button to dial or to send the email or to show up to the meeting. Fuck them. It, it, it kills you. Fuck them. Yeah. Like, and yeah, <laughs> it's not as callous as it sounds. Easy. It's just like, <laughs> but it's true. Oh, yeah, You're not going to talk to them again. Like, yeah. it's okay. It, it's, it's not that you hate them. It's just that you don't care whether or not they like you. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. I think that's the cap on it, guys. That's yeah. the episode. We're getting good at this. Wow, it's only the second one. <laughs> I mean, we used to talk like this all the time in uh, in the office. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. now we got some weirdo on LinkedIn watching. It's like, hey, oh, what, are, what are they saying about <laughs> oh, Patrick? Look at that. Look at that beard. <laughs> look at that fucking beard. What kind <laughs> of oils are you using in there? <laughs> oh God. Also, uh, any right. any beard oils or other products you want to plug in this, Patrick? Oh man, I just like searched search beard oils on Google and clicked on the first one and, and ordered it. So I recommend doing that because it worked out for me. <laughs> See, SEO always wins. It really does. It's true. It really does. Oh, it's the I don't art think, of shaving. Yeah, I don't think I ever scrolled ah, past the first page on Google. Yep. Art yeah. of shaving had the first spot and I bought it. It's 40 bucks. Just I made the plunge. You should too. <laughs> Hit us up, Art of Shaving. <laughs> yeah, we'll sponsor. If you want to be a sponsor. <laughs> but uh awesome thanks guys for joining today this has been episode one of the sales cash roundtable with my co-host max sakevich and then patrick downs our guest editor thanks so much for joining on today guys we'll chat soon it was a pleasure you bastards yep bye